Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Welcome to our final Halloween episode. Oh, Master, I'm glad you came up with a spooky voice for this one. I mean, it's it's the best I could do. I don't think I really matched your, your Igor thing going on here. What? Who is this is taking over for Mike? I can't act on... Well, that's stupid to say. <laughs> I, I literally spent many years of my life acting on the fly and improvising, and now suddenly I feel out of practice. And it's funny, because I've never done it in my entire life, except for... Right now. So, uh, there you go. There you have you're, it. You're a natural, buddy. Well, welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. I'm Mike, and I'm here with... Peter! <laughs> that, that was weird, doing it out of order. That's okay. You know what? We're, we're trying new things. You know, a hundred and however many episodes in, we're still trying new things. That's right. That's right. We're going to innovate until there's nothing left to innovate. <laughs> Can't even innovate what I was going to say about innovation. Well, that's okay, because we're not going to be covering innovation, because that's not a cooperative game, and that's what we cover here, cooperative games. Nice one, nice one. Instead, we are finishing out our little uh, horror-themed three-peat here with uh, Zombicide Invader, the newest, well, newest that is available, if you don't count Zombicide's second edition, the newest game in the Zombicide series, and uh, clearly lots of alien zombies to go around, so it fits this little horror thing we've been doing. Yeah, and for our design discussion, we're going to talk about one-off missions. So sometimes you get a huge campaign where you have to play one after the other or the after the other, and sometimes they let you just play one mission here, one mission there. They may be connected by story, but really they're meant to be played as one-offs and just some design considerations for designing missions as one-offs. But before we get into that, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, this week we're thanking Brian Franklin, Daniel and Rich Hickey, who are all co-op lovers. And if you'd like to support the channel, uh, the YouTube, the podcast, uh, all the stuff we do here, bringing you great coverage of games, uh, please feel free to go on over to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash one stop. All right, but without further ado, let's get into Zombicide Invader. And I'm going to cover the theme, although it's funny. When I cover the theme every week, I really feel like I don't do anything at all. And I'm going to do the same thing this week. So Zombicide Invader, guess what? It's zombies in space. So that's about it. Yeah, you know, you're right. (laughs) I definitely get the heavy lifting with the rules summary for at least the games we've been covering recently. So in Zombicide Invader, you pick a mission. There is no running campaign here, at least not in the base game, which is what I've played. And you have six characters, no matter what player count you're playing at, so you got to divide them amongst yourselves. And pretty typical if you've played a Zombicide game before, although there are some new things here. Uh, you get all the player turns in a row, so everyone goes, and they can take uh, three actions before level-ups. That's uh, moving one adjacent space searching for new weapons and other items or interacting with the board in different ways like getting these objective tokens that can get you special weapons or usually progress the mission depending on what the objective is and of course you can also for an action attack you have uh, melee weapons which uh, a new thing in zombicide invader is since you're in space we're not well on an alien world i should say in space you're not really actually out in outer space 
But uh, since you are on an alien planet, you have interior locations where you can walk around without oxygen and where you can use any type of weapon. And then a new thing, you have exterior spaces. First of all, you need an oxygen tank to be able to even go out there in the first place. And then secondly, uh, any weapon that's like a projectile weapon doesn't have the oxygen it needs to fire. So you can only use melee weapons and special energy weapons. That's kind of a new thing here. But yeah, so you can attack, uh, you roll dice, you're basically rolling to see uh, if you reach a two-hit value for your weapon. Zombies are spawned, so after you have the player turn, you have an enemy turn. And uh, basically you move every zombie, mostly one space towards everyone. There are hunters that activate twice. If they're already on a space, they deal some damage. And uh, then you spawn new zombies on each of the spawn points. And you just rinse and repeat until you achieve the objective or until uh, one player gets killed or the objective is impossible to achieve for one reason or another. And that's basically it. There's other things with leveling up. As you kill zombies and get objectives, you gain experience points. And when you level up, you get stronger, but more zombies spawn as well. But that's kind of the basics. If you've played Zombicide, a lot of stuff will look familiar here, although there are some changes that uh, we'll see if we like or not as we get to the review. All right. Well, if it's your first time joining us, thank you. And what we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which we feel is the least important thing, and going all the way to number one, which is the most important. So I will start off this week, and my list I did a little bit weird. I actually did major categories for stuff instead of like as specific as I normally get, because I feel like this game kind of went that way, and also because I want to compare it a little bit to the previous versions that I played, and talk about how I think this one differs, because I think a lot of people have probably played some form of Zombicide or another, and, you know, maybe not this newest iteration, and just deciding whether it's worthwhile upgrading to this or not, I think will be a little bit more useful. And, you know, before you get into your list, Peter, why don't we each talk briefly about our experience with Zombicide? I think that might be kind of good context for people listening. Sure. I've played a little bit of the first original Zombicide, and I just hated it because there were just some rules in there that were just real fiddly. And I'm not a huge fan of controlling a bunch of characters. And every Zombicide's done this, where you have to control six characters, even if you're playing by yourself or if you're playing with just two people, each have to control three as we've talked about in previous episodes, my kids were way younger when the original Zombie Side came out. So asking them to control three characters, or you know, asking my son, who was the only one who could have played it at that time, to control three characters was just a lot. And so there were some things about regular Zombie Side I didn't like, so I didn't play that one very much. I liked Zombicide Black Plague more. I've played that one uh, much more. And there were some huge improvements in my mind in that one, but there were still a lot of things that bothered me, and we'll get into that in final thoughts. But I did play that one, gosh, probably 10, 12 times, and I still own that one. And then my son loves Zombicide Black Plague so much that I ended up going in on Zombicide Invader because I liked a lot of the changes they were advertising in the Kickstarter, and we'll see if I was disappointed or not. But I've definitely played this one probably about 10 times as well. Yeah, and I would say I think I've played the same as you, Zombicide and Black Plague, but I think only once or twice each. Original Zombicide had major frustrations with the game. Black Plague I thought was fine, uh, but it didn't grab me that much. Invader I've played far and away more than any other version of Zombicide, and we'll see if those were plays I enjoyed or not. Uh, But go ahead, Peter, why don't you get into your number five thing about Zombicide Invader? All right, so my number five is the tokens on the board and specifically the doors. So I'm going to focus on this compared to Black Plague mostly because, again, that's the one I played most of. 
And the doors in regular Zombicide, I think, were this way as well. But in Black Plague, they were definitely this way. Where you had to bash them down. You had to roll a specific number just to open a door. And you could literally sit there because I think it was like a four plus to hit it too. And you're rolling one dice a lot of time. So it was very frustrating. You could spend literally three or four actions and never open a door. Well, doors are done completely differently in in Invader. And I really like how they're done. As a free action, you can open or close a door. And then you could spend additional actions to open or closed doors adjacent to you as well and typically there aren't any closed at the beginning of the game and so they're basically just used to slow down the zombies in this game so you use the doors strategically to help you out they are not a frustrating thing on the board as well in the in the older versions and this is something they do in this one as well there are these objective tokens on the board and a lot of times you'll shuffle up some random ones. Red is usually a generic color, and then the blue and green ones as well. And you're looking for them to activate specific objectives, but even if you don't get that, they will give you some experience in the old ones. Well, in the new ones, they give you gear as well, and I'm going to cover that in a different point, and I'm sure you may talk about it too. So I'm going to just leave it at that. But I really like the way the tokens are laid out in this game, and it feels like everything you put on the board has a function, whereas the other ones, there was a lot of setting up of doors and things like that ahead of time i feel like a lot of that is cut down in this version yeah some of those things will come up later but i will say quickly i, I don't think you had to bash doors in the original top zombicide but a big difference between invader and that one is when you would open doors you would spawn a bunch of zombies in the room and it would kind of uh i felt like halt gameplay to a great extent and then Black Plague had the bashing doors. So I didn't like how either of the previous games handled doors. And here, I totally agree with you. Uh, I'll get to it a bit more later, but I think uh, doors are really nice. So my number five is a mix. And this is uh, this has been consistent. I think it might be slightly better in Invader, but this has been the same for these entire Zombicide series. And that's the leveling system. On the positive side, it's fun to level up. You know, after you kill enough zombies or get enough objective tokens, the first time you level, you just get plus one action every turn, which is a pretty big improvement since you only have three to start. But then when you get into orange and red, you uh, get to pick from several options, and it might be like extra actions every turn or a bonus dice on certain kinds of attacks, and it kind of specializes your characters and provides some of the main differentiation. I think all that is super fun, super cool. The sort of weird thing about Zombicide, and it's always been in all the designs... As I said, you spawn more monsters based on the level of the highest leveled character. So you always have this incentive to try to level evenly. And that's that's mostly fine. It's kind of an interesting puzzle. The negative side, the reason this is kind of a mix for me, is because, uh, first of all, it's not necessarily fun as a player to have to hold back in zombie bashing, where that's sort of the main joy of the game, I think. So, you know, like forcing yourself to not level up because some other people aren't doing as well as you isn't really that fun. It can provide a bit of an interesting puzzle, but yeah, it, it, I've always had like a little bit of a problem with that mechanic in general. Now, it's a number five here because it definitely didn't bother me as much here because there were other things to focus on. But uh, yeah, it, it's something that I kind of sort of like and sort of don't like. Sure, and I'm going to talk more about leveling later, so I'll hold off on my thoughts on that. My number four is enemy activation. And enemy activation is pretty similar to what they've done in previous Zombicides, although, again, I think they've streamlined it here. I I think this is going to be a consistent thread throughout what I'm talking about. Wherever you make the most noise, and noise is considered 
where there are players or where you do things like use weapons that make noise. So any of those spaces you put down noise tokens or you could just make noise if you want to to kind of distract zombies and have them walk your way without actually firing a weapon or anything else. So they kind of just move toward the closest noise. And in previous ones, they they did weird stuff when they split. Like if you had one model and it there were two ways that were equidistant, it would say put one in each way. So the zombie would kind of like split in half and become two zombies. And it was just weird. And it would happen anytime there was an odd number of zombies. They still have you splitting groups, but they basically say split it as evenly as you can. Don't worry about it too much. And so I, I think it's just, again, more streamlined here. I think it's a smoother, cleaner way of doing it. And so... Yeah, zombie activation is pretty quick and painless. In addition to that, I'll get into spawning a little bit, as Mike said, and spawning in the rooms was awful before. Like, I never realized how awful it was until I played this new version. I mean, literally, if you had five or six rooms that you opened up, like one door, and it exposed you to five or six places, you had to spawn a person in each of those. And while I like Black Plague's spawning system in general, it really bothers me that they had that one card that always threw me off. It was like, the next spawn, double it. So it would give you interesting things, like you get like a bunch of guys showing up at one place at once. But it was always weird when it was like, the last card you drew, I never knew exactly what to do with it. Or if you drew it and there was like one room there, what do I do? Like, do I double spawn in that room? I don't really know what to do. And I'm sure that were rules that were covered it. And I'm sure it was very simple, but it always seemed fiddly to me. Well, now they don't really have that at all anymore. And, and it just seems very streamlined. You're basically flipping over three or four cards each turn after all the players act and they've got their own phase. So I think the way the enemies are handled here is much better than any of the previous Zombicides. And uh, the one cool thing they do is they have these mold tokens. So, you know, they're the big abominations the way they always were. But wherever they walk indoors, now they create mold. And there are cards that you flip that say spawn one regular zombie on every mold space or spawn one runner on every mold space. And those are kind of neat. So it does the same thing where you get this diversity in spawning without making it too confusing. They're very straightforward. Yeah, I agree. I, I like this one the most of all the ones I've played. Uh, my number four is something Peter mentioned already, and it's another mix for me, and that is the requirement to always control six characters. This uh, is a mix based on the player count, basically. With Solo, as streamlined as controlling the characters is, six feels a bit much, especially for like a very beer and pretzel kind of simple streamlined game. I think the ideal player count here is two to three. Four to five, you run into, obviously, the awkwardness of, like, who gets the extra character. And then, honestly, for four, five, or six, I don't think controlling characters individually is interesting enough, and I worry about downtime to really recommend it there, especially for six. Like, I, I can't imagine doing my one character's turn and then just sitting around for a long time and then doing my one character's turn again. I do think you need to have a bunch of characters on the board because I think the interplay and the kind of tactical maneuvering and the cooperation and, you know, searching for items and passing items to each other and, and your weapon complementing my weapon, I think all of that is really cool. I just wish that there were some simple rules to at least cut the number of enemy, uh, you know, characters down to four or five just to accommodate all player counts in kind of a smoother way. And there are lots of variants for other Zombicides, so I'm sure you could apply one of those here. I know Steve on the other podcast has a, a pretty smooth rule where you basically just kind of roll for which spawn points are the ones you activate each turn based on number of players, and that seems super workable here. 
But if I'm reviewing the game with rules as written, I do find the six-character requirement thing to be a little annoying, and I wish, again, they had just uh, inserted something official to kind of help with that. Sure, and I agree with that. That still bothers me to this day, but that that is a choice that they made. I do think the game is probably best with two or three because of that. Controlling two to three characters is very doable. All right, so on to my number three. My number three is probably the biggest improvement for me of the game from the previous versions, and that is the gear. I mean, it's always cool in these kind of games to run around grabbing gears, and it's no different in this one. The couple things that they did differently, which I really like, is number one, no single gear seems that overpowered. And part of it is because they have this new thing where you can directly aim at one enemy. So before, abominations were almost impossible to kill because you needed to do two or three damage. I guess three for abominations, two for the fatties. And like they were really hard to kill. But now, with any weapon, you could aim at them and take them out. I'm not covering that now. I'm covering the gear. But the reason that's important is even the weakest weapons can take out some of the biggest enemies in the game. And so I really like that. And also for gear to become very powerful in this game, they usually need two parts. So number one is we talked about those objectives tokens on the board earlier. Well, if you are looking and searching those objective tokens, you always get five experience for doing that. But you also now get some of the best gear in the game. And they included that in Zombicide Black Plague, but they'd be hidden somewhere else. They wouldn't be in these objective tokens. So it used to be you'd look at these objective tokens, you get the experience, but you would get nothing else. Well, now that's where you get the coolest gear in the game. So I think they've taken this from video games in a way where you're searching around and even if you don't find the best thing, which you're looking for, which is your objective, you still find something really cool that will progress you in the game. But... The difference here and those other games are, I felt like in Black Plague specifically, those weapons were so much more powerful that whoever got that would just destroy everything. And I feel like they've really tamed it down here. And in fact, you can't even use those weapons without power cells, which is something you have to search for. So now there's more teamwork included because people are trading weapons around, trading power cells around. Also, even some of those weaker weapons in the game, you can usually use two of them together. So if you find a second one of that weak weapon, now that weapon becomes just as good as the more powerful weapons. So a lot of times the gear in the game requires two things to be really, really good or one thing to be kind of good, but it's all kind of moved toward the middle a little bit while still differentiating the weapons. I still feel like they feel different. And so I like that a lot better than in the past. That was my biggest problem with the game was somebody would get one of those uber cool, uber powerful weapons And then like Mike was saying with the leveling, they just out-level everybody and it would be fun for no one else in the game and that one person would have fun. So for me, that's my number three. I really like what they do with the gear in the game. So it's really interesting because I 100% agree with everything you just said. I think you are absolutely right and I think it's a great design decision too. But my number three is my con, my biggest con with the game. And it fits into part of the stuff you were just saying. So I guess I'm kind of conflicted here because my number three is the variety, at least in the core box of the game. And that's all that I'm talking about here. Peter has a bunch of the expansions, but I specifically didn't want to play them. I just wanted to try out the core experience. And I think especially compared to some similar games in its class, this game just for all the fun you're having, it does feel very samey. Let me get into kind of the main ways that happens. Number one, you have to control six characters, and guess how many characters are in the core game? 
six characters. <laughs> so you will literally see the exact same characters every time you play if you're playing with the core game. And even with those characters, uh, yes, leveling is fun, but their starting powers, a few of them feel pretty special, but some of them feel pretty basic. And then they all get the same plus one action as their second level. And, you know, some scenarios won't even get into the orange and red levels. So it's okay. Uh, but yeah, six characters, you're always going to see the same ones. And then the enemies, uh, you know, you got hunters who move too. You got uh, the tanks who take more damage. You got the abominations. But that's it, you know, and like nothing really ever special happens with them. They're always the exact same people. They always come out. It's always the same spawning cards. That's totally fine for, uh, you know, simplicity and uh, streamlining, but it's also not too inspiring. And then the gear, I totally agree with you, Peter. And I think this is probably still the right way to go. But I did feel like even after I'd played three times that I'd seen every card several times. Like there just aren't that many cards in there. And again, I'm conflicted because... Y'all know me, if you've listened to the episodes a lot, I don't like things that are way out of whack balance-wise. And, you know, the old Zombicide would have, like, horrific items that were useless, <laughs> almost. And then, like, ridiculous items. And Black Plague, as Peter was saying, had the same sort of thing. And I don't like that, but I also am not sure I like it here, where I feel like sometimes it doesn't matter what weapon I have that much, and it feels like every game I'm getting the exact same kind of stuff. Every game, like, I have the guy with the sword and the guy with the shotgun... And then add on top of that, just one more thing. Uh, the scenarios are, you know, kind of different. Uh, the map setups can be fairly diverse. Uh, probably the biggest difference is some of them kind of emphasize the exterior stuff more and some emphasize the interior more. But in the end, all the scenarios I played, they felt fairly similar. It was like, get some oxygen unless you start with it. Get some objectives. Get to the exit. So, it, again, wasn't like that interesting, especially uh, in my final thoughts, I'm going to bring up some other games kind of in a similar vein and genre of this game, and compared to those, I definitely felt like this one was a little bit flat. Now, it's my number three, because some other stuff comes up that does kind of fight against this feeling, but yeah, overall, I was like, man, base box, I don't feel like I'm getting a lot of variety here. It's not that I don't feel like I'm getting a lot of game. There's still a good amount of stuff you can play through. But in terms of like how different those experiences will be, I didn't feel that much. Well, and it's funny. I think they do this knowing that almost nobody buys their games retail. And so everybody's going to get 100 different heroes to play with because those are all Kickstarter exclusives. And everybody's going to get all the expansions because that's just kind of what you do with these type games for Zombicide. So I do agree. And, and this has always been the case with Zombicide, that the base box is a little more flat than it should be. But I also think it helps the ease of learning. So for me, it wasn't as big a deal, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. So my number two is the leveling system, which Mike talked about already. And I put it up here because I think it's one of the most exciting things about the game. Leveling up in games is fun. And I like leveling up partway through the missions. Now, the only time I got frustrated with it in the past, and again, I think this one does a better job because there's a lot of objective tokens on the board. And with an objective token, you're basically moving up a level. I mean, I think the first time you level up needs six experience and you get five just for getting an objective token. And there are, you know, typically quite a few of them all around the board. And so the most frustrating thing is Mike said is everybody starts with the reactions and then you get your fourth one. When you get to six experience, the most frustrating thing is being that one character, especially in Black Plague, man, when I couldn't open a door with one character and they'd be just stuck on zero experience the entire time and everybody else is leveling up and killing a bunch of stuff and now they've got more and more zombies coming at them and they're still not leveled up at all. I think this one does a better job 
of not having that happen because there are so many objective tokens and ways for them to catch up in leveling. But on the positive side of leveling, yes, you know, everybody gets that same first one, but they do start to differentiate a little bit after that. Some people become better at shooting. Some get more dice when they're shooting. I mean, it's not, it is still a very simple game. So these upgrades aren't tremendously mind blowing, but I do think it is fun to level up throughout the game. And I think they're different enough that they make the characters feel a little bit unique. So that's my number two is the leveling system. So my number two, a a big pro, and it does come to some things you already mentioned, but I think for such a streamlined game that the tactical positioning and sort of the puzzle of the game is actually pretty strong. here, stronger than you would expect from just looking at it on its face. A few things to get into with this. First of all, as Peter mentioned, uh, enemy activation is pretty streamlined here, pretty straightforward. But you do have this noise system that's very simple. But you can do, you know, pretty intelligent things. You can lead enemies astray and kind of control which avenues they go down. And that's great. An awesome addition for this that is totally new to this version of the game is uh, you have these remote robot and uh, sort of sentry guns you can activate. Some characters start with the ability to activate them, and then uh, other ones you can like find the remote as you search through the objective tokens. But these are awesome for a few uh, reasons. First of all, it's just cool to control a giant robot and, and slash and blast people. But also, they uh, when they activate, they become their own like person that enemies can go toward. So you can really do like a lot of fun stuff with like kiting enemies or leading them one way and then the other, and really wasting a lot of their activations. And especially when you have like hordes of zombies on the board, well, aliens, zombies, whatever they are, uh, <laughs> it can really feel pretty cool. And again, for like such a streamlined, simple game to play, I think that's great. And then, uh, you know, just kind of adding on to all of this, I love that you can close the doors for free. Like, they encourage you so strongly to set up little choke points and block off the aliens. Uh, I love the exterior-interior thing and how weapons become uh, more or less valuable based on what you have. And a character that's a total beast with his shotgun in one part of the map suddenly has to rely on the guy with the stun batons in the other part. I think all of that really plays into a a streamlined but exciting tactical puzzle to solve in the game. And especially on the harder scenarios, that really comes into play. So I appreciate that a lot. It's funny. We're going to get into final thoughts in a minute, so I'll save it. Yeah, like I, I want to get into my final thoughts already. I mean, I think you guys can hear them spilling out a little bit here. I, I don't think I've said one thing is a backwards move from previous Zombicides, so... I think it's pretty clear where I'm headed with this. But my number one is the missions themselves. And while I do agree with Mike that there isn't a lot of difference between them as far as you're always going to be going after objectives, you're always going to be needing to get oxygen to go outside, you're always going to be, you know, spawning zombies. I do think that there is some cool tactical puzzles to them, and Mike alluded to this with his number two as well, but I think the subtle differences between them and even the layout of the map Just sometimes you've got a lot of rooms next to each other, so you need to be more close ranged. And sometimes you have these long like death corridors where if you really get a good outdoor weapon, you can kind of line up the zombies and, and really have a fun shooting gallery with them. So I don't know, even though they are similar in what you were doing between them. I do like the tactical puzzle that each turn brings in them, and that's why I do think you need so many characters, as Mike had pointed out as well, and why I do like the mission variety in this. And there are quite a few missions. I mean, I think there are like 12 missions in the base game. Yes, 
Again, they're similar, but they do enough different to make it interesting. And I also want to figure out what's going on with the story. So I do like reading through those missions and playing through them and just seeing what kind of new puzzle they're going to put in front of me for that mission. And just to do my comparison, you know, that that's always been the way Zombicide. I think that's one of the strengths of the series is they've always done these one-off missions and really progressed you through them. Well, we'll get to that in the, the design discussion in just a little bit. But yeah, my number one is another pro. And it's a very simple, straightforward one, but it's certainly the strongest kind of feeling I get from the game. And I'll be honest, <laughs> this isn't really a design element. This is just kind of the emotional entry point for this game, specifically in the series. But I just feel like this game is so accessible and super fun. And just to illustrate that fact, I set it up for my seven-year-old, who, you know, plays games with me, but generally not very complicated ones. And he could easily take his turns without any help from me. He, especially on the easier scenarios, was able to do things that were effective without me needing to, like, kind of tell him or advise him much. And he just had a blast. And, you know, moving the zombies is fast and easy. Uh, Playing the game is simple. Teaching the game is incredibly simple. But also, at the same time, it's a lot of fun. You have these really nice minis on the board, and they're just rushing toward you. And as Peter mentioned with the gear discussion, you get pretty good items pretty consistently. There isn't really any trash in this game. And, uh, you know, another thing Peter mentioned, you can... Let's say I get a good weapon, I can give somebody else my submachine gun, and they can dual-wield submachine guns, and hey, suddenly they've got a good weapon too. So you're blasting zombies left and right, rolling tons of dice, feeling powerful, making cool moves. It's just a, a really easy game to get into, and it's been super fun each time I played. Even the... We did have a few games where we died extremely quickly because one, you know, this again was my son usually, uh, or maybe it was me. Uh, <laughs> you know, we like went way out on a limb and in the last game I played, uh, a hunter was on me and I was like, ah, oh, whatever, this is a hunter. And then of course I drew an extra hunter activation and they do two damage if they're already on you because they activate twice. So yeah, my character was dead in <laughs> a second and there you go. But even then I didn't feel bad. Like the game's very fast to set up, as Peter mentioned, fastest of the series. You don't have to put almost anything on the board, just set up the tiles and go. No enemies start on the board generally, very few tokens. You just jump in. It's just really, it's really nice, fun kind of light experience but like i said with my number two still has some tactical depth so it's a great combination all right well mike you've got most of your final thoughts out do you have anything else to add to it yeah yeah i do um so overall if you can't tell i I really enjoyed this far and away more than any other zombicide i've played i really would have no desire to go back to zombicide or black plague and even from what i've seen of zombicide second edition from the kickstarter i'm not too interested in that because i don't like the room stuff i I don't like a lot of like the core things of the original zombicide i am fully endorsing invader and i do think it's great for like casual players and families i think the core box isn't a ton of content but it'll take care of you and you know i'm sure they'll have some expansion or something. Much I don't really know how cool many does. Will they ever have another Invader Kickstarter or they just move on to the next thing? I know, especially with like Black Plague, the next thing they did right afterward was Green Horde. And those two were compatible with each other. So I know they moved here right to Zombicide 2nd Edition. And for me, in my mind, it's because this game was the game that Zombicide always should have been. And so I'm hoping they take a lot of elements from here and put it in Zombicide Second. But I'm also hoping that they don't forget about Zombicide Invader. I don't know how well it did compared to the others, but 
maybe the sci-fi i mean look for me sci-fi is not nearly as cool as like black plague was and orcs and werewolves and stuff like that like that is all kinds of my scene but i am getting rid of my black plague even though i like the theme better just because i love the gameplay here so much better and so getting into my final thoughts this is hold on on, i'm not done my final thoughts yet. oh all right finish 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 i was asking you a question man (laughs) sorry I, i i'm excited here yeah, so I will say you have to decide how much our recommendation holds for you if you didn't get it on the Kickstarter, because you know I think the core box is is fine, but it might not hold your interest. So you want to probably track down some extra stuff for it. They do have expansions, a- at least one expansion. Yes, yeah, so, so so I I would recommend probably looking into those if you enjoy the system. The the one final point I want to bring up, and Peter, I want you to kind of address this as well as you get into your final thoughts or at the end of your final thoughts. It is interesting to compare this game to one that we liked a lot last year, which is Deep Madness. They are very similar in a lot of ways, to the point where I would say Zombicide might have looked at Deep Madness and even kind of integrated some of the good ideas in that one over here. For me, it's an interesting comparison. I think Deep Madness has the better tactical puzzle, has more varied stuff, even in the core game. Like, definitely the enemies are way more varied. And, and in a way, I think I like the gameplay more. The The tough thing is, it is certainly more to keep track of. It certainly feels more intimidating to set up. And also, even the base scenario is pretty challenging, like, to the point where I would have a hard time playing with my son without feeling like he would get discouraged by it. So I think Deep Madness is the better gamer's game within a very similar vein. Like, really very similar. You know, closing doors behind you and fighting... I mean, and, and the, I mean the com- to, to be fair, I'm saying Zombicide might have stolen from Deep Madness. Deep Madness, like, totally took its combat and weapons from Zombicide. So, you know, fair is fair here. Sure. But yeah, I think Deep Madness is the better gamer's game. But I do think that I would be much more likely to pull out Zombicide Invader... So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I think both are great games, but they are very similar. I just wanted to kind of throw a little comparison in there. Anyway, Peter, sorry, you had started your final thoughts. Go ahead and get into them. Yeah, well, just comparing this to the rest of the series, as I said, the the theme is not one I prefer. I'm not a big sci-fi guy myself, but the gameplay is just so much better than all the older ones that... uh, You know, I have no interest in playing the older versions. I mean, maybe what I would do is... Because, to be fair... Literally, they take the same powers and move them from Zombicide to Zombicide. So, like, regular zombies were the same in in Black Plague as they were in regular Zombicide as they are in this one. They've got the runners in there, which are the same. They've got the abominations, the fatties. The abominations work a little bit different, but beside that, literally all the things are the same. So I guess I could use the sci-fi setting and bring in my old Zombicide stuff just to have the cool, like, fantasy theme if I really wanted that. Certainly, I think characters would easily transpose from one to the other. There are a couple of changes in characters here, but not enough that I I think it would make a big difference. So even with that aside, I'm going to keep this over the other ones because gameplay is that much better. So for me... I am usually someone who is theme first when it comes to deciding if I'm keeping two things that are similar. But here, gameplay elements are so much better in Invader that I'm definitely keeping this over any of my other Zombicide products that I own. Now, I will say comparison to Deep Madness, I agree 100% with you. If I am sitting down with you and Jerry, I would much rather play Deep Madness because it's a much more strategic 
and satisfying puzzle where I think Zombicide's like, if I've had way too many to drink that night and it's way later in the night, or if I'm just playing with my kids, or if I've been drinking because of my kids and I'm playing with them anyway, you know, that is, Zombicide is just the kind of game you can just throw on the table and throw a bunch of dice at it and just have fun. It takes no time to set up, very little time to play, and it doesn't take a huge learning investment where Deep Madness is definitely takes a little bit more, even on the AI side, just remembering how to control them. They, the line shifts every turn. Every single one of them has very unique, distinctive powers where they're very simple with Zombicide. And the one thing I will say is there is an expansion out for Zombicide Invader already. And similar to what Wolfsburg did for Zombicide Invader, it adds some neat things without adding a lot of depth and complexity, plus it gives you a lot more characters to play with. So I do think that if you play it, you like the base game, it's pretty quick purchase for me to go and get an expansion for it as well, because I do think you will like the additions to the game. So that's kind of my comparison with Zombicide, you know, Invader versus all the previous ones. And I do want to add uh, something I just remember for Deep Madness, just another kind of thing on the you know, it's heavier, but it's also in some ways better side of things. Uh, it has great, great variety in the scenarios, like crazy boss battles that play out completely differently than anything else in the game. So that's uh, pretty cool. I mean, again, Zombicide is so much easier to get playing, but Deep Menace has some really nice design stuff going on there. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so let's get to our design discussion, which is one-off missions. You know, it's funny because we've talked about legacy in the past. We've talked about campaign games in the past. But we really haven't talked about these games that have one-off missions where you are just having one mission at a time and you don't have to continue from one to the next to the next. You know, sometimes it's really nice to do that. But sometimes it would also be nice to just play a game for one night and put it away and not have to worry about bringing it out the following week. Yeah, so the first thing I'll say about this is I love when designers offer the flexibility of either or, especially if it's a fairly simple process. So just to run through a few, uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, they have rules for one-off for every scenario. They have like a specific way to build the bag, you know, the sort of like mythos uh, bad token bag uh, for each one-off scenario. So I, I like it there. Uh, even in our own design right now, Spare Parts, uh, we have the whole campaign with the story and the leveling and all that, but we just have a little chart, and you can jump in with any mission you want and immediately kind of know what level you should be and kind of take care of things quickly. So I think that's a great thing to strive for. If you, Even if you have a game that is very like specifically set up for campaign play, if it's feasible, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but if it's feasible to make it one-off play too, I think it's a cool thing to strive for. Or even uh, with the current uh, Kickstarter Oathsworn, you know, the campaign play is very core there, but they're going to have like a sort of arena mode-ish kind of thing where you can uh, fight against the same AI enemies, but in a like one-off sort of fashion there. So I think it's really cool to accommodate different play styles and not all of us have time to go through a 20, 30, 40 uh, <laughs> scenario campaign. So uh in general, just kind of philosophically, I really support the idea of building this into our designs. Yeah, and I think you hit one of the strongest points there to start with is with as many games as come out nowadays, we don't have time to devote 10, 20, 30 play sessions to one game. Now, some people do, obviously, and they love it. And if that's for you, that's awesome. But it is nice to every once in a while have a game where you don't have to do that. 
And so, yes, even with ones where they introduce the option of doing it, it's very nice. But like Arkham Horror, 90% of that game for me is the story. So if I was just jumping in to do a mission, now some of them are cool missions to play, but I I don't think I'd want to jump in and, and miss out on all the stories. So even that one, yes, it allows you to do it, but I don't know that I'd want to do it. Whereas these games specifically, they're, they're almost like a mini series, right? Yes, there's an overall picture, but this one snapshot is enough to satisfy you. There's a beginning, middle, and end to each individual scenario. And I think that's important if you're doing one-offs where, yeah, even if you want to tie it to this bigger story, you still want every play session to be satisfying. Yeah, and something that the one-offs has over campaign play, and man, do I appreciate this. There is, we've discussed this before, there is nothing more demoralizing, at least for me as a player, than playing through until, like, the very, very end of a scenario in a big campaign game. Like, uh, Gloomhaven is probably the worst for this for me. And then losing, but realizing that the system doesn't really have enough new to offer you, so (laughs) there's no excitement whatsoever in the prospect of playing through that again. So with the one-off, especially like uh, something like Deep Madness, where, yes, there is a continuing storyline, but there is no element brought over, at least in the core game of Deep Madness. You know, I love that I can be like, all right, that was Mission 5. Wasn't that nice? Uh, we saw that. We don't need to play that again <laughs> until we feel like we uh, want to explore it another time. So let's move on to Mission 6. Uh, you know, I-, I love that I can do that with the one-off system, whereas, uh, you know, to do that in something like Gloomhaven, y- you feel like you're cheating. Yes, it might still work for your group to just kind of fudge the results and be like, ah, we won that. Let's move on anyway. But uh, it's nice with the one-off. You don't even have to kind of have that, that guilt <laughs> at having done so. Sure, and I do think that it allows them to be more difficult because in a campaign setting, you don't want to destroy somebody so badly in a mission that they are now basically out of the campaign for the rest of the time. And I mean, certainly the campaign design has something to do with that as well. But in these one-offs, you can make it as hard as you want to make it. And if people fail, they fail. And if they want to replay it, they can, but they don't have to if they're frustrated with it. So... I think you can ramp up the difficulty and play with the difficulty a lot more, have super easy missions, super hard missions, let people vary their own difficulty within those missions as much as they want, because you don't have to worry about the consequences, either positive or negative, that carry along. So you can have somebody go from zero to hero in one mission as well, and you don't have to worry about now, where do they go from hero, right? What's the next step beyond that? How are we going to continue to level them up? So there's a lot more freedom in these one-off scenarios. I think the only thing you're really losing for me, in my mind, is the some of the story elements of it. You know, you don't get this continuing campaign. You don't get to fall in love with these characters and keep them growing with you as you continue along. But there are definitely a lot of pros to it. And something along those lines I wanted to add for designers... I don't think that it is enough to say characters get stronger or I have a story and that's enough to say that your game has to have a continuing campaign. I think, again, Deep Madness has kind of shown that the story element can still be fine with sort of one-offs as long as they're tangentially connected to each other in some way. But also, especially for simpler leveling systems, it's super easy to be like, all right, so now you all start with your first skill card. Now you all start with your second skill card. That's how we're doing it in spare parts. 
Now, I do think it's very different for games that leverage the campaign aspect more. So, a legacy game. You can't do that one-off. You know, it's kind of foolish to even try. Uh, something like Gloomhaven, you have, you know, the event decks that are changing in real time based on the things you experience, and you have branching elements of the campaign. You can't model that in one-off play. And as Peter said, Arkham, Arkham does offer one-off play, and I appreciate that, but I don't ever want to play it, and not just because the story is so immersive, but because you are having varying degrees of success based on how you do, and you're uh, seeing different things based on the choices you make and based on, like, the directions you take. So I think those kind of campaigns, it's still cool to offer one-off, but clearly those are doing more with the campaign structure than just, like, the basic kind of thing. Like, compare that to, uh, I don't know, Descent 2nd Edition with the app. Yes, that's a campaign, but in the end, if I... Like, like nothing really matters going together. If I was just like, hey, okay, here's an extra item you have, and here's an extra skill you have. It would be the exact same thing. I could easily play missions at different power levels in a one-off fashion. So, you know, I think some games kind of use the campaign structure better than others. And if you're not really doing that much with it, then definitely include one-off, at least as an option, because honestly, your campaign isn't that exciting in terms of the campaign itself. Yeah, well, it makes me kind of wonder and think, like, where is that line? Like, what is it that makes you decide, yeah, I've got enough here to make it a campaign versus, no, this should be more of one-off because that'll let people jump in at any point. It's an interesting point. I just don't know where to put the line. I feel like the status quo these days is campaign. You know, I mean, I feel like games even that traditionally would not have had any campaign are shoehorning in a campaign. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, Spy Club is a great example. That's a fairly straightforward kind of Euro thing. But they were like, hey, we can change up the gameplay in small ways and have, like, a little bit of a sort of campaign element. And they did it pretty well. So I I don't mind that trend. I don't want to come off as negative here. But I do think, like... Almost any game on Kickstarter you see, (laughs) I mean, look at how many, you know, narrative campaign fantasy games we've uh, reviewed or covered on the podcast or on YouTube in the last uh, several weeks. It just seems like that's kind of the expectation, I think. Sure. And I know we had a long discussion about this on Every Night is Game Night podcast. So if you aren't listening to that, you should. They cover a lot of solo games and Jason certainly loves his cooperative games as well. So little shout out there, but we had a discussion with Rob Davio about that and how most of the games nowadays have these big narrative stories and these huge campaigns attached to them. And the story is just getting told to you more and more now. And I kind of push back on that because I do think that there are still a lot of games out there that don't offer that and don't have that, but just the popularity of the ones that do shines through, right? The $2 million Kickstarters all have these campaigns. Why? Because it seems to be what people want and what the consumers want. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about these one-off and, and a lot of the pros of them, and I really do think they have a lot of pros. But at the same time, what do people really want at the end of the day? And, I mean, I, I view our jobs as designers to give them the fun that they want, not the fun that we want. Well, to an extent, but I also think that if you have a vision, you can make a game that only 10 people want to play. And if you're happy with that design, that's fine. I mean, it it all depends on what you want, of course. If you want notoriety, if you want fame, if you want money as much as there is in this industry for the average person, then, yeah, then you can definitely go with kind of the trends. 
Sure. So with that all aside, I do want to get back to some of the pros and cons of one-off missions. And the one thing that I wrote down that I I think is probably the biggest strength of one-off, aside from you have to commit a certain amount of time to this game, is that one-offs can do things like play with rules a lot more than a campaign game can. So for example, you could give people gear for that one mission that they can only use on that one mission and it never appears anywhere else in the rules and they only have to learn it for that one mission. Now certainly games like Mice and Mystics have shown that you can add rules in, but I think it's better to do it in a one-off situation because that way you don't have to go looking up rules in different sections. If you want to have a similar rule later on, you know you're going to have to add it back in because people are playing these as one-off scenarios where sometimes when you shoehorn rules into a campaign, I feel like they're like, oh, well, you already know how to do this, so we're going to tell you to do something you did 10 missions ago and expect you to have to remember it. Or we're going to put this long section in the rule book about how water works and like the flow of water works when you use it in like two missions in the entire campaign. And now I read all that stuff and I don't remember it by the time I actually get to those water missions. So I feel like in one-offs, it gives you more license to do one-off-y kind of rules. And I think that that leads to more differentiation in gameplay sometimes as well. Although I think it can go the other way, again, kind of comparing it to campaign play. Because the setup could be more static in a one-off, and what I mean by setup is not just like literally the setup, because a lot of campaign missions will set up the same way, but the setup of what is brought to that scenario or campaign or mission. Like if a one-off says, hey, you have these specific four characters, and here's kind of the fun puzzle we're putting in front of you, that's awesome, and you can have like all this varied equipment and stuff, but it might also be a bit more solvable, and it might feel a bit more like one and done, I've experienced that, why do we need to play it again? Whereas one of the nice things about a campaign game is, you know, your character might look different, might come in with different equipment, different, uh, you know, traits, different uh, faults, different leveling schemes, and all of that can make what was uh, the same mission much more replayable. Now, it's going to depend a lot on a, the game, of course, because, you know, something like uh, Deep Madness or Zombicide, maybe you throw in a bunch of expansion characters and a bunch of new items in the deck, and suddenly it does feel like a new thing. But I think it is something to consider that one-offs uh, can, depending on how you design them, by their nature, feel like not just a one-off in terms of, I only have to play this once, but a one-off as in, I only feel like I want to play this once, and then the value of it is gone. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. I definitely see both sides of the coin. And again, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. I think this is why we have these discussions is because, you know, how do you decide where to go with your game and whether one-off is a better way for you to go or whether campaigns are better for you to go. Some some other cons I've seen with the one-off missions, and I, I kind of touched on these earlier, but I'll get a little bit deeper now. Number one is you don't have to worry about the leveling curve. And what I mean by that is if you do really well in an early mission in one of these campaign games, it can carry you through two, three, four missions. I know we experienced this with like Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Early on, we were failing and failing, and so the game became harder and harder, even though they had some ways to kind of pull it back a little. But then by the end, once we got the swing of it, not only did we get better at playing the game, but now we've created positive board states where 
there are certain things that are removed from the game that we don't have to worry about anymore. And, you know, things that we had done in previous missions that helped us with future missions. So that cone becomes wider and wider the further you go from that first game. And so, again, with one-off missions, you never have to worry about that. You know exactly where people are, at least at the start of the mission. And if they become super powerful throughout the course of the mission, who cares? They're going to reset again at the end. So I do like the aspect of being able to control at least where you start. At least you know where they are at the beginning and that way you don't have to worry so much about, and I got to worry about a par- character that's power level 10, and I got to worry about one that's power level 1. How are they all going to do this same mission? And then the second con I've seen to these one-offs, and again, I mentioned it earlier, is the loss of story. And I do think you can have a very good one-off story, but I think it is hard to combine your stories if you're expecting people to be able to jump in and do any mission as a one-off. And so I think you do lose some of that cohesiveness. Just having people buy into playing your entire campaign it is part of what makes a campaign game great. You know, you know these people are going to come back and experience this story from month one in January through month 12 in December, and they're going to live that campaign and that story with you. And so there is something to that. And I think role-playing games do this really well. And it's something that, you know, legacy games and story games really thrive off of. And so, I mean, it's a pro and a con to those games. But when you get a group to buy in and play them through with you, I think it creates a much more memorable experience in the long run. Now, there is something, I'm curious your opinion on this, Peter, although you haven't played either of the games you're going to mention. There is what feels to me sometimes like a bit of a middle ground. Now, it's not really a middle ground, but it feels that way. And those are, how to describe them, uh, games that have like a colony phase and then a like go out and have an adventure phase of the game. So the two big ones that I've been playing recently that kind of jumped to mind are Kingdom Death Monster and uh, Aftermath, the upcoming one that I did a review of from uh, Plaid Hat Games. Both of these have a similar idea in that you are building a colony up and kind of like uh, upgrading and getting new abilities and getting new equipment for your colony. But then in both of them, you go off and do something that in a lot of ways feels like a one-off because it's fairly divorced from like the other stuff you've done. Now, yes, you bring in the campaign elements with you. You have the equipment you've researched or built or found. You have the levels your characters have gained. But in Kingdom Death, you have this hunt, and then you have this, like, big boss battle. And, you know, again, the boss battle is informed by the campaign decisions, but it does also feel very much like its own thing. And they even have in Kingdom Death uh, specifically designed one-offs that are just the boss battle. And it's like, here's some guys, see how you do against this boss. So, you know, that that's one. And then Aftermath, yes, again, you're, like, progressing these things, but you just pick a random mission you want to try... And you go to the place where that mission is, and you have a very self-contained story. Like, there's kind of a continuing story, but it's a very much more emergent story as you go on these little adventures. And it it gives kind of a feeling of the one-off self-containment, but, of course, within the scope of a bigger campaign. And I found uh, both those games I really, really enjoy because, I I don't know, there's a few things about them. I I feel like I can stop and start them easier, but... Since there's not an overarching story that's trying to, trying to like kind of be shoved at me, since it feels a bit more like a one-off in some ways, I feel like that's not penalizing me. Like I can enjoy the game when I want to, and then come back to it later. It won't really bother me that much. 
I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm rambling here. Maybe this is like not even slightly one-off, but it did seem to, in some weird way, offer a similar kind of emotional experience to me. Well, would you say Osworn is that way as well? Because they have the two distinct phases. There's the battle map phase and then the, the town phase or whatever yeah, you call it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good point. It's more on, like, the, the choices you make in the Choose Your Own Adventure go directly into the boss battle. And then the story is very tight and very, like, strongly narratively driven. And you'll pick up immediately after the last boss fight. And then, like, new stuff will happen that kind of builds on the boss or has consequences based on the boss. So there I definitely felt like the narrative experience was stronger compared to, like, Kingdom Death and Aftermath, where the overarching narrative is kind of in the background and kind of hanging out in sort of a more hidden way and it's really more like these little one-off mini stories you have with yourself so yeah i would not say Osworn felt the same even though you're right that it is very divided it's it's more about i guess the segregation of story and like the the bite-sized story beats sure and i, I the only game i've played like this is shadows of brimstone would you compare that because you've played that one a couple of times yeah yeah actually shadows of brimstone is a great example so yes you do have like this whole ca- like narrative campaign thing but in the end like in that i would just feel like hey we're doing another adventure and yes our characters might have changed but we could just as easily have just rolled up those characters stronger it almost feels like a one-off yes yeah, so that, that's a great example well i hated that there so if that tells you anything well, but did you hate it or did you hate how random it was and how, like... I hated that I had to learn an entirely new set of rules to play a, a game that I didn't find as interesting as a basic game. And I know some people love that game. And I know some people love, you know, Kingdom Death. And, and I don't know because I haven't played enough Kingdom Death to know. But I hated that I played this one game, which is a dungeon crawl. And now I got to learn an entirely new set of rules just to play this other mini game that I'm playing between the games that is so divorced and feels so different. And yes, I'm getting stuff from one to inform the other one, but I just didn't find it fun to do the in-between stuff. Like I was like, all right, I just want to go back and fight for more stuff. Or I'm sure if the Euro game mini game outside of it was interesting enough that I would just want to do that. But putting them together didn't really feel good or right to me because I felt like, oh, man, I just killed this epic boss. I did this amazing stuff. All right, now I got to do like a bookkeeping phase for the next 30 minutes and figure it out. So for me, that wasn't great. But I think that's going to be down to personal taste as well, obviously, because you said you did like it in, in these other games. So. I don't know. When And I'll say, I think they each have different things they do that makes it better than the Shadows of Brimstone model. Aftermath does it, like, stupidly fast. <laughs> like, it takes five minutes, and then you're ready to go on another adventure if you want to. Yeah, so with Aftermath, there was a game I liked that did this, and I found the leveling just as interesting as the gameplay, which was that JRPG game that was on Kickstarter, which, yes, the balance was all off, and, and the campaign didn't really work, but I really loved leveling up my characters between the missions. And I loved that it was like 30, 45 minutes for a mission and 30, 45 minutes of leveling up because the leveling up was super interesting. And I felt like my character was very different going into the next mission. So with that JRPG game, I can't even remember the name of it. I don't know. Do you Adventure remember? Tactics. Adventure Tactics. And to be clear, that's very different than the JRPG <laughs> game that I also did a review of <laughs> on uh, YouTube. Right. Yeah, it seems like there was a lot of those like JRPG inspired games that came out around the same time. And actually, none of them did very well, I don't think. 
Well, Adventure Tactics did fine. JRPG, which I think was far and away the superior game, unfortunately uh, did not fund that time. I'm hoping it has a second life at some point. Yeah, so, but the Adventure Tactics, I loved that leveling system. And yes, their campaign was all screwed up and there was a lot of stuff not good with that game. But in that system, I did like it. And so I'm contradicting myself a little bit here. But I think it's because there was not too much brain burn and not too much difficulty in remembering the rules for either section of the game. Leveling up was super straightforward and using your level ups in the combat was super straightforward. And the interplay between them was much greater than something like Shadows of Brimstone for me. Like, I didn't just get a fraction better. I got substantially different between missions and I felt that and and that made me feel good. So it made me feel like that in-between stuff was worthwhile. And that's uh, something I wanted to say about Kingdom Death as well. I think the big innovation there is that you get the resources you use to build new equipment and research new stuff and upgrade your town from defeating the boss. Like literally the stuff you do gets you the resources. Like you take their, their skins and their claws and make new weapons and make new armor. So I think it has a more like kind of visceral connection between the two, even though, again, it does feel a bit one-offish in the fight. Whereas Shadows of Brimstone, besides the fact that like I got some gold and could spend it on stuff, it just kind of felt like, hey, here's some random crap happening now, and then at some point we'll go back to fighting again. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think we've strayed a little bit from the original topic, but yeah, one-offs, they definitely have their place. I think there are good reasons to do them. I think you're probably right that more people are leaning toward doing campaign now because it's what's popular. But I do think that at some point, we're not going to have time for all of these huge campaign games in our lives. And we're going to want and need these one-off experiences. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of them designed going forward. Yeah, and the final thought I'll leave with, I think it is much, much easier to design a campaign game, get a feeling for the relative power levels you expect people to be at, and then add one-off play with those power levels in mind. I think that's a... I mean, having done it (laughs) for our game, I've seen that that's a pretty straightforward thing to accomplish. Contrast that with games that have done one-off play and then tried to kind of shoehorn in a campaign system after the fact. I can't think of any of those that I think is really, like, impressive or fulfilling. So I guess, uh, you know, if you want to kind of appeal to the market and also have that one-off kind of sensibility going on, it definitely seems to make more sense to me to make a campaign game first and then figure out how to kind of build in some one-off options within it than to go the other way around. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our design discussion and our discussion of Zombicide Invader. Yeah, and that's the end of our October Fright Month, or we, we never really had an official name for this, did we? No, we didn't, but we can come up with one right now if we want. Uh, uh, like, now? (laughs) Yes, Master, I'm leaving it all up to you. That's called putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay, uh, roll for your life. That's terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need a name for it. All right, well, thanks for joining us on One Stop Co-op Shop. Go check out our Slack and join all the great conversations going on over there. Support us on Patreon. Uh, send us a message. Check out the YouTube channel. And uh, we'll see you at the next step. Yeah, and leave a review. I haven't asked for that in a while. We've gotten like 55 reviews already uh, across all the different 
iTunes and all the different platforms, but we'd love to read those reviews. We don't talk about them as much as we did when we first started, but we definitely read all of them and we appreciate all of them. So whether it's just giving us a five-star rating or get whatever rating you think we deserve or you know, writing a review for us, we totally appreciate it. So thank you to everybody who's left us reviews in the past and thank you for everybody who's going to do it going forward because it really does make it all worthwhile for us. And with that, we'll see you next week with another Top 5 Review. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. It's at patreon.com slash one stop. Although, uh, you know, if you have any fun... But of course, if supporting us is a burden, uh, we would love your support in any other way you're... But if supporting us feels... ah. All right, without further ado, let... Wow. (laughs) I don't even know where my mouth went on that one. God, my brain is terrible today. Um, You seem distracted. I'm not doing anything. (laughs) Um... Oh, yeah. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I don't have to be scared anymore. Oh. Did your kids have to hug you sometimes? I don't have anyone who loves me. I hug myself. (laughs) 